0: Psalm 100 is an important psalm for all ages. I first remember memorizing Psalm 100 when I was in first grade. I can remember the Sunday school classroom I was in. I can remember the visual that the teacher used. It's important for children to learn this and it's an important it's important for adults to learn this because Psalm 100 shapes the way you think about worship. Depending on what you've grown up with, depending on the kind of church you've grown up in, you may be thinking that worship must be done in this way or in that way because you've seen a certain protocol, you've seen a certain order of service that has led you to say, this is what church looks like. Psalm 100 is the climax of a series of psalms beginning in the 93rd Psalm and ending at the 100th Psalm. You know, enjoying worship is a blessing of God. It's a blessing from God. Yet worship is often, can we say less than enjoyable? Why? I believe it's possible that worship is not what God intended because we have missed what ought to be in our worship. Maybe we've become distracted in our worship. Today, as we look at Psalm 100, I want us to focus on enjoying worship, and I want you to notice worship, as we're going to see in these scriptures, worship is personal. And worship is corporate. Can you worship God at home? Yes. Does that meet the requirements of what God asks for? No. Can just getting together with some friends to do a Bible study and just meeting together with other Christians, is that sufficient? It does not appear to be based on what we see in the text. What you're going to see is personal, and you're going to see corporate, and you're going to see them... Meld together. Let's notice, in fact, if you would, let's turn back to Psalm 93, and I just want you to notice certain things that the psalmist is telling us about and how that prepares our minds for Psalm 100. Why he would end with this climactic psalm where he says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. What leads you to all of these conclusions? What leads you to do what he's telling us we ought to do? Psalm 93 tells us this, the Lord reigns. The Lord's in charge. That's a really important thing for us to remember. As we look at the world around us, as we see the lies of Satan, and Satan wants us to think that God is not powerful, God is not able, God is not cognizant, God's not paying attention to what's going on. You think about all these different things and what happens. All of a sudden, we begin to get discouraged, and we get down, and we say, this world is just an awful place. This world, still, when you look around, it shows the glory of God. It shows his handiwork. Our God reigns. In Psalm 94, this is a little harder one. He's asking, God, why why aren't you hearing me? God, why aren't you doing something? And as you read through this psalm, you're going to see one truth that stands out, and that is God judges. God does judge. Our God judges. Look in 95. O come, let us sing unto the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. What does he talk about? He talks about Jesus Christ, the Lord, being our sure foundation. In Psalm 96, what you need to see there is God is supreme. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. He's a sure foundation. Our God is supreme. 97. Our God is holy. It begins by saying, the Lord reigneth. But as you look at what he describes in verse 2, clouds and darkness are round about him. There are things we do not understand about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. And as you read through here, you're going to see it talks about his holiness. Verse 12, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. You know, we often talk about this, and I believe it's, I know, I bring it up often, because we, we don't think about holiness being such an incredibly wonderful thing. God's holiness is what gives us confidence every day. Because if God were not holy, God could not be the same every day. If God were controlled by sinful passions, if God could not be the same every day by being holy, by always being good, by always being just, we would be struggling. Yet because today of his holiness, we look and we would say, our God is a good God and he reigns Psalm 98, we see our God is the victor. He hath done marvelous things. His strength hath gotten him the victory. In Psalm 99, we read he is unchanging. And therefore, we come to Psalm 100, and we read, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. What you're going to find as we look in Psalm 100, he's going to restate all these characteristics of God. In verse 3, he wants you to remember, know ye that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. In verse 3, he says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. God is approachable. He wants you to know God is knowable. We'll be filling in the blanks in just a moment. So don't don't get nervous and think, oh, what did I do here? God is knowable. Verse 3 of Psalm 100, God is creator. My wife, Cindy, grew up in the Dearborn, Michigan area. In fact, her dad worked for Ford Motor Company. Ford Motor Company was always amazing to me. Even as a child, before I'd ever met my wife, before I'd met her family, my dad would take us up uh, to the Dearborn area. We lived in Indiana. We would drive up the five, six hours because he wanted us to see the amazing factory that Henry Ford had built. Henry Ford's ultimate goal was to achieve total self-sufficiency. He didn't want to be dependent on anyone else. You know, today what do we, we have all this outsourcing. Living in Charleston with Boeing, we would see the Dreamliner. The Dreamliner was a huge 747 that had had the middle section of it cut out and made it much larger so that they could fly the parts of the, uh, the Dreamliner to um, Charleston where they would assemble it. And parts of it are made in China, parts of it are made in Germany, parts of it are made on the West Coast, parts were made throughout the United States. And they would go with this, these large planes, pick up the parts, and bring them and assemble them. Henry Ford said, I don't want to ever run the risk of someone not, of, of not having the parts that we need. So he had his own rubber factory. He had his own uh, plastics factory. He had his own iron factory. He brought everything in, and inside this, it was called the Rouge Plant because it was on uh, the Rouge River. Ford Motor Company owned 700,000 acres of forest, iron mines, limestone quarries in northern Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Ford's mines covered thousands of acres in Kentucky, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Ford even purchased... And operated a rubber plant I mentioned all of this he had 93 buildings in this complex with over 15 million square feet of factory I my mind can't put together that many square feet I saw the buildings but I still can't fathom how much space that is he had his own electricity plant He uh, had a soybean conversion plant that turned soybeans into plastic auto parts. He had his own railroad, 100 miles of track, 16 locomotives. He had his own bus network. He had miles of paved roads. They had over 100,000 people that were working there. He had his own fire department, his own police department, his own hospital, his own maintenance crew of 5,000 people. And they were rolling a car off the lines every 49 seconds. All of a sudden, you you begin looking at all of these amazing things. But I want you to notice something. He was still taking pieces and putting things together, when in reality, God says, let me remind you of something in Psalm 100, verse 3. He said, I am God. I am approachable. I am knowable. And I am creator. I am creator. I want you to understand something. He made us without the help of anything else. He upholds all things in the same way he made them of himself. Without the help of anyone else. You see, all the world could fall apart except for the fact that he sustains us. He didn't make a mistake informing us. He changes, you know, that whole thing of the fact that he didn't make a mistake with any one of us here this morning. We all look different. We have different abilities. We have different skill sets. But knowing it is he that hath made us changes our attitude toward ourselves this morning. It changes our attitudes toward those we see in here this morning. Instead of saying, well, they're different than I am, We rejoice in how God's made someone. He made us, therefore, he owns us. We are his. You know, that grants us comfort in times of hardship and heartache. And not we ourselves. It's almost as if he's making a restatement in the way it's written in the Hebrew, where he says, um, we are his, let me go back and read it. We are his people and um, it is he that hath made us and we are his and not we ourselves. We can look at that and say, well, we didn't make this. It's a great reminder for us of we didn't happen by chance. It teaches us about the false of evolution, but it also reminds us, He made us and we are his you see as as we come together and worship often people try to take the place of God even in worship we've tried to be self-sufficient but we didn't make ourselves we are his people he made us his people it's a work of grace how do people become the sheep and he is the shepherd how does that take place through God's grace, through Jesus Christ. We see he is a shepherd, verse 3. He is our leader today. Verse 5, he is good. Verse 5, he is merciful. Verse 5, his truth endureth to all generations. He is unchanging. So, as we look at, I want you to notice this morning, we're going to go through the psalm and we're going to look at the command for personal and corporate worship. Let's look together and notice this repetition. In each of these, there is a personal side of it and there is a corporate, there is a group side of it. First of all, he says, Make a joyful noise. That would be M with make. Make a joyful noise. You know what he's talking about is he wants each of us to be participating. You see, as you think about the participation part of this, if you are part of the, if you are any part in the world, he says, I want you to be part of the creation of this worship. When he's talking about making, he says, I want you to be part of making something special this morning, which is what we've been doing. Brother Gary got up and led and and jenny as she was playing piano and as we played some instruments and as you sang we made something that was unique this morning it can't be reproduced again next time someone will not be here next time others will be joining us what we did this morning was unique we don't think of it that way we're usually thinking of hanging on to our kids and trying to figure out what we forgot and did we plug in our crock pot so that we're ready for the meal. And we're really distracted. And often even people will say, well, we use music just to just kind of get people to come in and sit down. And we've got lots of different reasons for it, but we've forgotten the most important reason. We have come to worship God. And when we focus on worshiping God, this whole thing changes. How many people have to be here to worship God? We bring together, we've met together, and everyone that can be here has met for the specific purpose of worship. And we begin by making something unique, making a joyful noise unto the Lord. You see, you are part of this mix. And then he says, serve God the Lord with gladness, be as serve." Again, there's a personal and there's a corporate. You see, when we meet together, our goal is to do something we have come to serve God, not ourselves. You'll notice we work hard that everybody that we can gets an opportunity to serve. We try to find things that little people can do so they can serve. We find things that older people can do. We find something that adults can do. We try to give everyone an opportunity to serve. Why? Not because I'm trying to rope you in. I'm just trying to follow what the scripture says when he says, I want everyone to be part of making this. I want everyone to to be serving, but do you notice how he describes serving? He says, serve the Lord with gladness. He says, come before his presence with singing. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5, if you'll mark your Bible here, but go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians was the first full book that we really studied in depth. We did look at Ruth. But as we go back and we look at Ephesians, how important it is for how we worship as a church. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 18, where he says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? What does a Spirit-led service look like? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto, the, unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What does this look like when you see worship? When you see when he says, come before him with singing, this is all something that is enabled by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual exercise that you have done this morning. We sang extra today, but the whole goal was it wasn't filling in the service. It was part of the service. This music is so important. That's why I look forward to, as God gives us people that would say, you know, I want to be a part of this. I I want to do something to offer a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. We will add different things to our service depending on the week, depending on what is available that week in offering to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, you know, he does the same thing. He talks about our worship being joyful, our worship being thankful, and our worship being submissive to the one we've come to worship. So remember he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Music and singing and personal participation is always a part of worship. Many churches that you go to today, they've done less and less singing, and people do more and more spectating. Why? Well, it's easy. You can just come in. You, we spectated football games. We spectated all the other things. Why not worship? Because, you see, worship, worship is personal, and worship is corporate. It's something that we do together. He says, come before his presence with singing. See, is come. Come before his presence with singing. You see, it's personal. You are important to that. You see, this isn't a... We aren't harsh on each other. We aren't going, you're bad, you didn't show up at church. No, that's not it at all. If we ask about each other, we're asking because we care about each other, but you need to know, you're missed when you're not here. Why? Because you're personally part of this worship. You know, today, I look around, and I'm so glad you're here today, and I look around, and I see others of our church family that are traveling this weekend. They're already doing things with family. Some are sick today, they're not able to be here there's a number of different reasons why people aren't here. And we've worshipped the Lord together, but how much we enjoy all worshipping together, and we miss them. He says, come, it's personal, it's a priority, it's a participation. The idea of come means to arrive. And then he says, no, K-N-O-W, number, uh, letter, letter D. No, it means not only to know the fact, but to come to know. You see, we are his people. We are his sheep. And he is our shepherd. Cindy and I have been married 34 years. I was so in love with her when we got married. But our relationship today is so much better than what it was then. There were all those stumbles when you first get married of hurting someone's feelings because you, I didn't know that hurt you. I didn't know I didn't know you cared about that. I didn't know you didn't like that. I didn't know I didn't know you didn't think I looked good in that. You know, there's so many different things. After 34 years, I'm still learning new things every day, but there's a whole lot more things right now I'm just pretty comfortable with. I know where she's coming from. You know, getting to know someone is really important. Getting to know God is really important as you're going to worship him. Now, we were, we were so excited to be together. I was so excited for someone to say, are you guys newly married? Well, yes, we are. I mean, how much fun is that on your, on your honeymoon we, we went to um, a church on Sunday and we went to a church on Wednesday as we were out on our honeymoon. And I don't know, I don't think that I necessarily went with the right motives. I went because I was going to show off my new bride. I, was, I wanted someone to see that I got this new girl. You know, this is just so cool that she was with me. We had rings and everything, you know. I mean, it's like really neat. But how much better now that I know her so much better? And we've come today, we want to, he says, I want you to know me. Come to know me. I want you to to work on this. Don't be comfortable just to say, yeah, that's my God. I want you to get to know him. What is he like as a shepherd? You know, he looks to our needs and he meets them. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He feeds me. He leadeth me beside still waters. He puts me in resting places. He restores my soul. My shepherd is uh, restorative. He is bringing about the things that are out of... You know, if he restores my soul, what's it talking about? My soul, my soul's messed up many days. I, I get anxious. I get upset. I have these things happen to me. And what happens? My shepherd knows that. I don't have to hide it from him and think, well, now he's going to think I'm a weak sheep. He already knows what I'm like, which lets me then be myself. I don't want to stay that way, but the whole point is he says, let me restore your soul for you. Let me lead you in the right paths. What an incredible shepherd. He feeds. He puts me in a place to rest. He restores. He leads. And he never leaves or flees In the middle of my enemies. I thought this was interesting when it says, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Do you know, even the place where we are is his? It's his pasture. I don't know why, when I was thinking that through, it just really stood out to me the fact that everything we have has been graciously provided by him. I drive his cars, I live in his house. I wear his clothes. This is really so cool because he's my shepherd and everything we have. We're his sheep, we're in his pasture. This world is our God's, it's not Satan's. He's gonna come back, he's gonna be victorious. And then he says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. There are not lots of gods. Remember what we read earlier, where we read the fact there are idols. People call gods, they're idols. They're made of wood. They're made of stone. They've got ears, but they can't hear. They've got mouths, but they can't talk. If you have to manufacture your own god, your god is poor. Okay? And what does he say? He says, I want you to know that he is God. The Lord is God. Isn't it interesting? He keeps making this statement in each of these psalms. The Lord God, the Lord reigneth. Sing unto the Lord. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. The Lord reigneth. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Again, he says, and then he says, the Lord reigneth. And then he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. What are we finding out? Jesus Christ is God. Know your Lord God. He is God. Charles Spurgeon said, Only those who recognize his Godhead can offer acceptable praise. You see, this is personal participation. But it's also exploration. He says, We know the fact. I want you to experience the fact today. What's the next one? Number E, and the letter E is enter. To go into his gates, his courts. We look at ownership. G, uh, F, be thankful. Isn't it interesting that the tabernacle was filled with the smoke of the sacrifices? If you were to go into um, the tabernacle... The, it would have been filled with the smoke of sacrifices. Outside at the altar, you would have seen the smoke of sacrifices. Inside, you would have seen the smoke of incense, of prayer. Today, what does he say? Hebrews 13 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. We don't offer Lambs, we don't offer bulls and goats. What do we offer today? We offer the sacrifice of praise. And that is so important for us because as we offer the sacrifice of praise, you are offering something today that God sees, that God hears. You're you're singing, brother Eddie, let us in prayer this morning. And as he was up praying, He was helping us to think about what our God is like. And we praised him. You see, he tells us to enter and be thankful and bless his name. You see, that's the way you speak of him. The world uses his name, but misuses it all the time. This week, as I was talking with this person, they used God's name often. But they didn't use it in a way that blessed his name. That blessed who he was. That spoke well of him. I'm not even convinced they recognized the one they were speaking of. I don't even know they recognized that they were using his name. It was such just almost the end of every sentence, and all of a sudden you begin realizing they don't even know who they're talking about. Those are filler words. And what does he say for us? He says, for all the world, but especially for us, he says, bless his name. Our worship services ought to be a time of blessing his name. We read scripture together because we, as we read his word, can bless his name even by the reading of his word. And then I want you to notice the character of our corporate or personal worship. Notice the character. He says, make a joyful noise. Maybe we've come from churches where you walk into church, and if you're smiling, something's wrong with you. And if you're having a good time in church, when you get home, I'm going to make sure you don't have a good time. You ever have parents say, you straighten up, this is not a place for that. But really, what should it be like? You know, We sometimes look at other groups, and we would say, oh, they're out of control. But shouldn't we make a joyful noise? Shouldn't this be a place where, though the world is sad, though the world is being torn apart, when we come in to worship, we make a joyful noise. And then B, as we serve, where is everybody? I can't believe I'm having to do all this by myself. We serve the Lord with gladness. I'm always glad when someone can help serve, but not because I want to take advantage of you. You are not an asset to make this ministry grow. This ministry is here to help you grow. And as you grow, you will enjoy serving. I was talking with Jenny before the service, and Often you hear people talk like this. Well, you're preparing to serve the Lord. Well, that's partially true, but the reality is, no. Ever since I was little in the church, I was serving the Lord, but I I was limited in what I could do because I just didn't have the skill sets. And then as my skill sets grew, I had more opportunities to do things. That's the reason why we're teaching our children, one, when you come to church... Can you pick up trash? Can you, can you hold a door? Can you hand out hymn books? Can you hand out papers? Can you do, what are the skill sets you can do? And then I look at, what can we do? You know, why, why did my parents push me so hard in music? Why did my parents have me take lessons? And I, and I, I mean, and to be honest with you, I have no concept for what some people have done musically and how hard they have worked. I, I've, I've told you before, our, our third child, second son, his name is Andrew, and growing up, he would practice 20 hours a week. One time he practiced 40 hours in a week. He was in elementary school. If you were to talk to Jenny and you ask her how many hours she spent at the piano, she spent more time at the piano than most other things in her life to be able to do what she does. And we take it for granted, yeah, can you just play this? Why did her parents, I've talked to her dad, I know, they wanted their children to be able to praise the Lord. And doesn't it make a huge difference to have a piano and to have stringed instruments playing? What an incredible gift! Shouldn't we be teaching our children to sing? Shouldn't we be teaching them how to sing? You know, the music programs in our schools have, are being defunded. They're, being fallen, they're falling apart. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on stadiums that at best those kids are going to play football for four years. Maybe one in a hundred will play college level and one in thousands will play professional But you know, you will use your music until you're nearly dead. My dad still sang in his 90s. Never shortchange music. You say, well, I just don't have a musical bone in your body. Yes, you do, because you're created in God's image and God is musical. Now, all of us, maybe we're not as musical as what we wish we could be because we live in sinful bodies and things aren't always the way God designed them. But every person can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Every person can come before his uh, presence with number C, singing. You see, the character of our corporate and personal worship is joyful, it is glad, and singing represents a happy spirit. I love being around small children when they're just playing with their toys and they're humming, they're singing, they're whistling. Sometimes it will drive you to distraction when kids will do that because they do the same loop over and over and over again. But what is it telling you? They are joyful. What is inside them, the singing reflects what's there. In fact, when the Israelites were in um, captivity, people knew of the Hebrews singing. And they asked and they said, how can we sing when our hearts are so heavy? Why can Christians sing? Because of what we've learned about our God. As we have learned all these characteristics about our God, all of a sudden we can sing. Our our services ought to be filled with thanksgiving. It can be in our songs. It will be in our prayers. It ought to be in our preaching. It ought to be in our conversations. Not only thanksgiving, but our conversation ought to be filled with praise. And our worship ought to be filled with praise. You see, enjoying worship is a blessing of God, and yet worship is often less than enjoyable. Why is that? It's possible to, that the worship we are giving is not what God intended because we've missed what we ought to be in worship And possibly we have become distracted by our worship from really worshiping God. Worship is personal and worship is corporate. It is intentional. It is relational. Because of who God is. Because of what he has done. We pattern our worship from this collection of psalms. Now, there are some other things we do in our worship services. Why do we give? We give because that's an opportunity of worship. You see, when we come, we're just doing everything we can to just show how worthy our God is, to show how good he is, to show what he has done. Satan always wants to destroy as much of our relationship with the Lord as possible. Think back, Adam and Eve. God had provided everything they needed, and they believed the lie that they didn't have enough. Think about it: a Garden of Eden. Isn't that still what we talk about today? What he, he lives in the Garden of Eden. What are we saying? It is the perfect place, the perfect society, the perfect environment. It's perfect. It's hobby farming. Everything just grows on its own. You get to just maintain what's there. You get to think through how you want to do things. You can take what God has given, and they can put things together and make things incredible and watch in amazement what God was going to do. God's holding out on you. You know, when we come into worship, that's exactly what's happening. Our children walk in and they say, oh, God's not good. God's word's not accurate. What we read in this book is not authoritative. You know, we really don't know how we got here. Maybe, you know, maybe evolution's true. Maybe it's not true. I mean, how do we know? Because God was there and God told us. Everything God says is credible. It's believable. It's believable. Satan doesn't want people to come to church. I don't know if you've ever noticed. You know how easy it is just not to go. You don't have to agree to that. I can just tell you how easy it is for me not to go, and it's kind of like embarrassing because I'm the pastor. It would just be real easy to get distracted. It would be real easy to be busy doing stuff. Well, you know, I'd like to do that. I just don't have time. Next week, I'll go. I wonder if anyone will notice I'm missing. Yeah, I mean, we kind of go through those things, and if you, you don't have to agree to it. You don't have to admit to it. You don't have to shake your head. I'm just telling you, Everybody, I think, struggles with that. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to go and worship. He doesn't want you to give praise to God. But if he can't keep you from going to worship, you know what he's going to do then? He's going to try to keep you from participating. You'll just stand there. And we've all got reasons. If you've heard my voice, you would say, you know, why don't you check on the nursery while we sing? Why don't you this? Why don't you that? I mean, I've heard probably nearly every excuse if you've got a better one let me know it's always funny to hear what we think the reality is is that when we come we come to participate if he can't keep us from participating well then he's going to keep us from enjoying it yeah i got to go to church today i got to teach a sunday school class those kids are such a pain their parents think you know If he can't keep us from participating, then he keeps us from enjoying it. If he can't keep us from enjoying it, what he wants us to do is, then we're going to come in and the focus is all horizontal. It's all about me. It's all about what I have to have. It's all about what I look like. It's all about people. The reality is, If he can't keep us from having a good time, he wants us to at least keep us from focusing on God. And if he can't keep us from arranging a service that focuses on God, then at least he doesn't want us to remember what God's done. God's holy. But you know what God's done this week. That's the reason why on Wednesdays when we have opportunity for praise. And to be honest with you, I would love it if you were to walk in on a Sunday morning and say, Pastor, could I have 30 seconds? Could I have a minute? Could I just share what God's done in my life this week? Could I share what God's taught me? Do you know that would be legitimate in a church service? I'm not trying to force you. I just want you to know This is how Satan works. Our God is awesome and worship is not only appropriate, but worship is important. Why? Because he is all we need. And every week we pause from everything else we're doing, working so hard, we pause to remember this world is not everything. Our God is everything. Care in our worship it's personal and it's corporate how's your personal relationship with God today some days it's better than others I don't ask you that to beat you up this morning I ask you that because if it's not what it could be then today it could be different. I'm so thankful that when I mess up in my marriage that my wife doesn't hold me hostage for that for weeks. Do you know what? I can come back to her and I can say, Cindy, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And she says, I forgive you. And then you know what? I take her at her word and we go on and enjoy the rest of the day. Guys, it's a great thing to learn. Ladies, it's a great thing to learn because you're going to hurt each other. If, if you spend close time with each other, if you're a NASCAR driver, what? You're going to swap paint. That's just the way it happens. If you're married, you're going to dent each other's fenders a little bit. And you just need to be able to go back and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I was selfish. I shouldn't have said that. I even knew I was wrong before I said it and I still did it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You can do that with God today. If things aren't the way they should be, then in just a moment when we close in prayer, would you just pause and say, Thank you, Lord, for letting me come and worship today. And I've been reminded that this isn't right in my life and it's really hurting my fellowship with you. Will you forgive me? He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Praise God.